Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help with home, life, auto, or business needs. Phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Walk-ins are always welcome at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg. The Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on WYRZ. Hi, this is Shane Ray for Central Indiana Today. We are digging into the archives tonight. I'm going to play an interview I did with Terry Sylvester, formerly of the Hollies. This was about seven years ago or so. Well, it was 2010, and the Hollies were up for um, being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Terry was going to be making an appearance in Indianapolis and so I had a chance to talk with him. It was my first uh, celebrity-type interview with a big-name artist or someone who had been in uh, a big group. And so this particular interview is special to me. So let's get right to it. It's me, Shane Ray, interviewing Terry Sylvester on 98.9 FM WYRZ. So, okay, you roll it, ask me anything you like, uh, ask me about Tiger Woods, what's going on, and I'll tell you, everything's fine. <laughs> what? You know, you happen to mention that uh, you're driving, how long have you been uh, living in, in the States? Um, I've only been up, uh, down in Florida since last February, but before that, I was in Toronto, Canada, up there in the old frozen north, Yeah, and, and uh, I just kind of got a little bit fed up of the cold uh and so i have always i've been coming to florida you know since since the 1970s on a regular basis holidaying you know brought my first family you know that i had you know when i was in the hollies and everything he used to bring them to disney world and do all that stuff <laughs> so and i always kind of had a little bit of a dream uh, that i wouldn't mind living in a place like you know florida <laughs> Because I'm kind of self-employed, it doesn't really matter where I live. Right. And uh, the, the dream has come true, which is rather nice for me. The thing is, it, you know, I was brought up in Liverpool, England, and obviously with the Beatles, and we all, you know, got a little bit lucky, you know, after, mm-hmm. after the Second World War in the, in, the, in the early 1960s. The whole world suddenly switched on to Liverpool, England, and, and all the bands there in Manchester, of course, and Birmingham and London. But... Mm-hmm. Um, all the guys, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, all of us, we, we basically just couldn't wait to get to America because, you know, yeah. we'd seen all the films and the movies and, you know, it was a different world to us. And as I said, I'm just happy to be, you know, in Florida, in the U.S., uh, country which I've always, uh, ever since I landed there the first time in 1970, I flew into New York, I just, we... You know, the, all of us, the Hollies, we were on the plane. We were just staring out the window at the skyscrapers. We, you know, we were all starstruck with with the country. Sure. Now, all right, let's let's uh, let's back up just a little. You started out uh, in the music business. Uh, I've I read somewhere that your father was actually a musician. Yes, right? he has, and thankfully he's still alive. Um, he plays trombone. He's still playing, doing a few little gigs here and there. Wow. Little few tea dances with all the old ladies, if you think. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I was brought up to listen to, I remember listening to Glenn Miller 
and and because you know in those days they were called albums and they were mm-hmm. albums they were they were sure. like photograph albums with 78s oh yeah <laughs> and i remember listening to glenn miller and getting into this listening to the harmony stuff and i was also in in the church choir and so i was you know i could sing mm-hmm. and i used to have to do you know obviously harmony to, you know with everybody else and then and and then really what changed everything to me was watching uh, in the late 50s uh, the, the, like the Perry Como show and seeing the Ugly Brothers mm-hmm. on the television. I mean, our TV was about three inches by two inches. <laughs> it was like ridiculous. It was yeah. like my cell phone now. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I can get more on my cell phone than I could, oh, now, yeah. than I could then. <laughs> but I, I remember that kind of changed my life, and I remember wanting a guitar. And, 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 you know, there were lots of other kids in Liverpool doing the same at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, it was very exciting times. Very exciting. Yeah. But we were all, all the British Brits were influenced by American music. Okay. Uh, but obviously I, I used to love, uh, I mean, Cliff Richards and the Shadows. Mm-hmm. But then Cliff was also influenced by Elvis Presley. So, right. I mean, the, the whole thing kind of came from America, really. And... And we, we uh, and the British invasion. All it was was just English people singing American songs. Right. Uh, but obviously, I think there was a little bit of cuteness about you know Paul McCartney, which kind of <laughs> the American public quite liked. <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, I mean it's very exciting. I was watching a show yesterday on the Beatles, you know, and when they first came over and the effect they had. Mm-hmm. And I came like I was five years later than that, but it was very influential. Oh, it was just a wonderful time in the '60s and '70s. Yeah. Now you, you uh, not only were you friends with all of these people. We're talking the, with uh, Beatles, with other uh, musicians there that we later came to know. But you worked with them. You were in these same clubs. You were some. Maybe you started out uh, one show, and then they would do the next show or something like that, oh, right? Maybe, uh, well, no. The, the, there was a club called the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Right. This, this was the place. This was the happening place. <laughs> And, the, the, you know, it was kids. We were kids, 16, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. younger even. And we all, we, there'd be four groups on a night. And, and, and it, you know, you could have the Beatles, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, and, and then maybe, you know, my, my first band, the Escorts, would open because we were a lot younger. But we were all just going around, and sometimes we'd, be, we'd do two or three shows a night at different places. Right. We, we were just running around playing in these clubs, and it wasn't licensed. You couldn't, you know, buy drinks or anything because we were oh, all yeah. so young. It was like co- almost like a coffee bar, right? And uh, that's how it all started, really. Uh, and and that, did you play rhythm with the? the I played rhythm, yeah. But I'm a rhythm guitar player with the, who sings, and uh, I used to sing all the harmony stuff with the Hollies and the Blue Jeans and all that business. But now. I, I kind of sing the lead right. because I'm, I, I basically go out on my own. Sure, and uh, and also I doubt if I could reach those, those notes anymore. <laughs> All right, so let's move up a little. Uh, the Esquires were a great local group, but you saw a chance to advance with the Swing and Blue Jeans. Yeah, what happened was the Escorts actually. I'm were sorry. The, uh, Escorts. Yeah, that's fine. But anyway, yeah, the Escorts. We just couldn't get the hit <laughs> record you needed to move on up the ladder, you know, and right. get more money for playing and play further away and and tour Europe and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the Swinging Blue Jeans, who had a really big hit with the Hippie Hippie Shake, mm-hmm. they uh, they were they had the same manager as the Escorts, and uh, one of their guys, the lead guitarist Ralph Ellis, decided he, he didn't want to be in the band anymore. He wanted to leave. 
so they asked me to join and as sad as it was to leave my friends in the escorts I had to move on because because we were kind of you know not happening anymore right. and uh, and the goal is to get bigger well yeah I, I, just, I mean, we play, the, the swinging blue jeans were a hit making yeah. act uh, yeah. and and it, it was for me an opportunity to, to move on up the ladder you know it's just like getting a new job when you get you know you get offered a better job sure. you, you're mad not to take it unless it's not a good job you know you, you that's life And so uh, I moved on to the Blue Jeans. We played the same type of music, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Liverpool beat stuff. So it was very easy transition. And that was a very good three years. I learned a heck of a lot with those guys. They were quite a bit older than me, six or seven years older than me. And they, wow. well, they taught me to drink, which was probably the worst <laughs> thing that they did. Okay, well, let's see here. Now, you, now the Hollies were already going on oh, during yeah. this time period. They were having hits like uh, Carousel, Carrie Ann. Right? Yep, they were okay. huge. The Hollies were huge. I mean, I was a fan of the Hollies. Explain to us again, uh, or explain to us uh, about how you came to be in the position that uh, that Graham was in. Well, um, the, Graham Nash, funnily enough, he was the guy I knew best in the Hollies. He was my best friend. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't think both, I knew that. We were both, uh, we were both, you know, harmony singers, and we both loved the Ebblies and mm-hmm. and, and the Hollies. And we, we escorts used to do lots of shows, you know, with the Hollies, and we we were in Germany. In uh, the 1965, uh, 1965, that we, we the escorts and the Hollies like did a little mini tour of Germany together. So we all got friendly. And long story short, what happens when Graham Nash decided, you know, he wanted to, you know, leave the leave the UK and come over to the states and be with Crosby and Stills and Ben Young. Mm-hmm. He, he went to them and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I want to start a new life over in L.A. and all that type of stuff. Well, the first person they thought of was me to, to replace him, which, of course, was fantastic because, I, I, you know, when I heard word of that, I just, uh, I mean, I would have crawled over broken glass, you know, 200 miles to go to go and see them to get that position because they were a hit making machine sure fantastic hit records 
And again, it was yet another step up. Right. And that's what happened in ni- and, uh, basically uh, December 1968. I replaced Graham and the Hollies, and it was front page news. And and we and then we you know continued to have hit records, and it was fantastic. So that's the tail end of '68. Um, let's tell me about your first experience walking into the studio to start recording with them. Um, we, what's going through your mind? Yeah, it was, it was Abbey Road, Abbey Road Studio. Mm-hmm. I think it was Studio 3, not not the one you see where they go down the stairs. We used to record in two, but that was uh, Studio 3 just went in. And uh, we've been, you know, we were trying to get back on track a little bit because they'd had a couple of minor hits, but mm-hmm. no major hits, you know, uh, for, for about a year. So right. they, we found this, they found this song before I joined called Sorry Suzanne. Yeah, and uh, it was really catchy, and I remember just Irishman going in, and just, I mean, it was no real different for me to, to record with the Hollies than it was with the Blue Jeans. It was just a, I had a feeling I was going to get a hit this time. That was about <laughs> it. So it's kind and of beautiful. we did Sorry Suzanne, and it was released, and it went to number two, I think, in the British charts. I think it was a, it was a minor hit in the United States. Yeah, I'm sure uh, it got into around nine, uh, got into number fifty six. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, but anyway, it's a good song. Uh, the, the, the thing was, it was a hit, and it, it was most important thing it was a hit in the UK for me, and and I kind of I'd made it at last after all those years of you know slogging around the country in the back of a van and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So did it feel like I can kind of breathe a little bit? I don't. Well, have to... it was yeah. I mean, I just oh, I was just so happy. But and then of course, what happened after that uh, was we found this song uh, called "He and Heavy is My Brother," which was my next question. Oh, which almost... I knew I was going. I knew I jumped in there <laughs> on you. <laughs> it was almost a year later. Uh, well, it says uh, December of '69 is when in the U.S. Anyway, now in the U.S. Well, yeah, it laid. It was. A, it, Actually, a hit in the UK in, yeah, in, in, in uh, March September, October? 1969. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we we jumped on that very quickly. Uh, but what happened was America, uh, you know, for reasons, you know, record companies, corporate, mm-hmm. you know, the thing. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, it wasn't released in, in, in the U.S. until about October of 69. Mm-hmm. And it just became such a huge hit oh, it did, in 1970. Yeah. It, it took a couple of months to actually make it. Uh, you know all the radio stations right. picking it up, and uh, but mm-hmm. oh, and that, and that meant basically, I, I, my ambition there it was: we're going to New York City. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do some TV. We're gonna do some shows in the states. And I'd never been, and they'd been before. The Hollies had been before, uh-huh. but I hadn't. And as I said, I'll never I'll never forget uh, coming over and you know seeing the skyscrapers and just being treated very nicely and. You know, like going to the record companies and going to parties. Number one in, I think we only went to number one. We went to number two or three, but it, we were we were on fire. You know, and it was just for me. I mean, don't forget, I was five years younger than the rest of the Hollies, so yeah. I was seeing all this for the first time. Was there anything you said, man? As soon as I get to the U.S., I'm going to do this. Hmm. Was it see any buildings or meet somebody? Somebody you were dying to meet or? Or just... Uh, were you talking about just getting to the States? Yes. I just was, I was just glad to be here. I mean, <laughs> it was like, you know, I've seen the movies, now I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just a wonderful experience. And I remember, I don't remember the dates we did particularly, because it was all, we were flying here, flying there. Kind of flies uh, I remember by. We did a couple of shows in the New York area, and we, I met all the, you know, the U.S. fans. It was just brilliant. Just mm-hmm. brilliant stuff. 
Now, uh, now you guys put out singles like I Can't Tell the Bottom from the Top, Too Young mm-hmm. to Be Married, Gasoline Alley Bread. Uh, you know, before we, before you left, uh, well, in the U.S., that was on Epic, Epic yes. Records, I believe. Was there a favorite? Did you like, is there one that you, that holds a special place before you left Epic? Or before, uh, I guess, Parlophone in the U.K.? My, fa- my favorite has to be here in Heavy because of what it, what it did for what you? It, what it meant, because it basically it was the first real ballad that the Hollies had ever done as a single. We used to, you know, record some ballads on albums, but we... We went with this big ballad with a you know orchestra and of course Elton John's playing the piano on it you know yeah. I mean he was he was Reg Dwight then at the session guy in Abbey Road <laughs> and we, we we used him because because you know we we could tinkle the ivories a little bit but we weren't good enough for the uh, you know the Steinway down there and yeah. uh, we needed someone who could play it properly and of course Elton John can play it properly so <laughs> so he played he played piano on it and we paid him I think ten pound or something maybe not even that. As a session fee. Wow. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and and the song, funnily enough, on on that record of Here and Heavy, there is no, no guitar on it. There's a bass guitar, but there's no guitars. So did you, it, your primary position was in harmonies? It, yeah, I mean, I, I sang the harmony on that on that yeah. one, and then we had a choir, a beautiful choir, yeah. and the song. It was just a fantastic song, and as I said, that's my fave. It still is. I still. I don't want to give any secrets away, but I still sing it on stage. The road is long He's my brother I've, uh, I've read where that's still in your lineup. Oh, uh, definitely in the lineup. But I, wouldn't, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't go on stage without singing that because it means so much to me. And, of course, it means so much to... To the people, to the fans. A lot of people around the world, especially, you know, with all, all these wars going on. You know, he and Heavy's my brother. Yeah. I, I, know, I know it was a very big Vietnam song because it came out around 1970. Right. And I know, uh, you know, obviously people being away from home and, you know, just people passing, you know, brothers. I mean, the, ta- the times that someone comes up to me and says... You know, I went to my, my, my brother died, and we played here and heavy as my brother at the funeral. Mm. And it, it, I mean, it doesn't depress me in any way. It right. just makes me happy that you know it, it, it's being used in a nice way. Right. And it is a message song. It's all about helping your fellow man. That, right. If you listen to the lyrics of that song, it's all about you don't worry, help your fellow man. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it's it's. Kind of one of those timeless songs. I've I, in my own playlist here. I've got, I must have three different versions of it from people who have recorded that. You know. Yeah. So it it's it just never seems to. Well, I know that Neil Diamond. Yeah, did, I have did that version, one for sure. But we did we did the original, and I know that the Osmonds that they class it as the signature song, but that they know darn well that who did the original. So <laughs> I believe not. everybody does. I don't mind, but yeah, I think Neil Diamond tried to get a bit clever. Uh, when he released his saying he did the original version, well, it, uh, he didn't. We did. <laughs> okay. And, and by the way, there's no animosity here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, I just like to get the facts right. That's it. Of course, of course. You're here on uh, XRB for the record. So. <laughs> all right. So now uh, the uh, around seventy. Two, I believe the your contract with Polydor was running out. I'm sorry, Par, uh, Parlophone was running out. Yes, it did. And then run you out went to uh, 
Polydor. You, you've done your homework. I can well, tell that. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, one of one of my favorite songs of the Hollies, and it's, I didn't know this until after I started doing a little bit of research on you. Is uh, after you left Parlophone, after the Hollies left Parlophone, they kind of snuck a little record out called "Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress." Ooh. Yes, we did. <laughs> and uh, now, how did that go over? You guys had already left, and I've read about this with the Four Seasons. Same thing happened with the Beatles with uh, Tony Sheridan. After they left, everybody and they became, you know, somebody. The the record company is sneaking old records out and getting hits off of them. How did that affect you guys? Well, what happened with um, Long Cool Woman was, was that it was just uh, Alan Clark, the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some advisors. Uh, so-called advisors who were saying things like, you know, you don't need the rest of the band. You're the singer. You're the star. You know, you should leave and just, you know, be a solo act. So all this was going on. And but in the middle of all this, we we recorded an album called Distant Light. Mm-hmm. And then when Distant Light came out, Alan Alan basically left the band. So you know, we, we were a little bit stuck. We weren't sure what to do, but the the album came out anyway, and the C, you know, the album CD, what you want to call them, sure. I don't know, MP3, I don't know what to call these. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. And what happened was, um, in Germany, Long Cool Woman just happened to be on the B side of of, of the, the single we had out at the time in Germany. I haven't got a clue what it was. Uh, but, uh, cable. Uh, no, but I don't what know what happened it was, in Germany. was the, the DJ. I think the DJ just was like, you know, about midnight, he started getting a bit bored, so we just turned <laughs> turned it over and, and played the B-side of whatever was the single at the time. And, of course, he played Long Cool Woman. Well, then all the phones started ringing. In, in, I think it was in Frankfurt. All the phones started ringing. People people said, what's that? Who's that? What's that you've just played? And got he got really good reactions. So what he did, he called up the record company in Germany and said, hey, you guys want to switch this? You want to put the B side on the A side? The phones are going crazy. So <laughs> totally unexpected. He did, and, it, and it went to number one. Yeah, it went to number one in Germany, and it and it hadn't been released anywhere else. So obviously, Epic got wind of all this. Mm-hmm. They released it. Mm-hmm. Most people thought it was Creedence Clearwater That's Revival. Right. Yeah, because because there was no ho- harmony on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was it, no it, harmony. It, it was it, not it, the it, typical. It's a, it's a, Holly it's song. another funny one. You, you've got he and heavy with no guitars, <laughs> and, and now you've got long cool with no Holly's harmony. I mean, anyways, whatever. It went to number one and was just a huge hit. Yeah. But we didn't have a lead singer anymore. <laughs> so so we, what we did, we came over to the states yeah. uh, to back it up. You know, because obviously we, we did all the TV shows and everything to back it up. We were number one in the charts. And I sang, I sang the lead, wow. which was which was great for me. And I, and of course, I'm not giving any secrets away. I may well sing "Long Cool Woman in the Bathroom." That was that was my next question because <laughs> now there is a part in that song, and I come from a singing background myself, and I used to have to sing that song. And boy, when he that pair of forty fives made me open my eyes. You better pull your underwear up to your to your <laughs> armpits. <laughs> I'll be there. It'll be good. <laughs> okay. No, it's fine. We're, uh, it, it, yeah, as I said, uh, as I said, we're not giving it, for the show I'm doing up there. I'm not going to give any secrets away. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you can guarantee you'll know. But the audience who comes will know all the songs. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
All right, well, well, let's move on up. Now, you're putting out singles like, uh, let's see here, Crossmaker, Slow Down, The Day That Curly Billy Shot Down Crazy Sam McGee. That has yeah. to be a long, one of the longest titles in rock and roll history. And then you come out in 1974 with The Air That I Breathe. Oh, yes. You want to tell us where that one came from? That's that's an interesting one, um, in as much as... I mean, they're all interesting, believe me. I mean, yeah. you could go on all day, but they... <laughs> what happened was... You know, obviously, she George Martin, mm -hmm. the Beatles producer, mm -hmm. and Ron Richards, who was the Hollies producer, were partners uh, in, a, in a company called Air London. Um, what happened was, they just used to be regular, you know, A&R men, uh, working for EMI, but basically paid wages mm -hmm. to, to, you know, to produce songs, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they got a little commission, but they kind of decided, hey, hang on. You know, we, 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 we can move on here. Mm -hmm. So what they did, they formed their own company. They left EMI, formed their own company, and basically carried on producing the Beatles and carried on producing the Hollies. And, and mm -hmm. also a guy, a guy called, uh, I can't think of his, Sullivan, um, Jim Sullivan or something like that. He, uh, he produced Tom Jones and Engelbert Humperdinck. So there was all these star acts being produced by these producers. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Earl London got formed. So getting back to uh, the other I breathe, uh, George Martin had a secretary called Shirley. Uh, and, we, you know, they all had their own secretaries and they all had their own office. Mm -hmm. And one day, you know, I just happened to be in the office and Shirley says, I heard a song today on the radio. I think it would be great for you guys. Now, now we're talking George Martin's secretary, not not George Martin. <laughs> yeah. did, I mean, did she have an ear or what? <laughs> she must have. She did. She said. She said it's a song by Phil Everly, and I heard it. It's an album track, and it's called "The Other I Breathe." I think you guys would do it really good. So, so we found the song. It was written by Albert Hammond, and we found the song where we we got we called the publisher and said, "Send us the sheet music. You know, send us the demo," mm -hmm. and. And then we did, we listened and we thought, you know what, Shirley's right. <laughs> so a little bit of George Martin's magic rubbed <laughs> off on his secretary. Wow. Now, and then we did it, we recorded it, and the rest, as they say, is history because it was just an absolute monster hit oh, all yeah. around the world. Yeah, and that's another one that still is. I still hear people, uh, we get requests for it every now and then. Well, it's, we... it's, a wedding, it's a big wedding song, isn't it? Yeah. You know, all I need is the air that I breathe and to love you. I mean, what a line. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I have used that line occasionally, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Really and, late and I've at night. I've also been slapped in the face a few times. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, all right. So, and, and of course, you being, uh, you know, the Everly Brothers being your hero, that must have been nice too to be recording one of the one of the songs. That well, yeah, he, did, yeah. I mean, he was. Uh, it was. Well, it, there was a kind of a link. Whether Phil Everly was too happy about it, I don't know, because we, <laughs> we got the big hit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, so all right. Now we're going to move on. Um, you, uh, the, the Hollies, continued to put out hit uh, hit singles. Uh, we're talking like. Uh, Let's see here. Around 76, we had Star, and I'm looking at my Yeah, the trouble paper. was we were running out of steam yeah. in the USA. Things like Star and a few of the other songs you could be mentioning song. were hits around England and hits in the Germany. But we were, like everything, every, you know, the, the, everything, unfortunately, sadly, comes to an end. Sure. And um, we, we were running out of steam a little bit. There was different types of music taking over. 
Yeah. And, we, you know, I mean, we, we're big boys. We accepted it. Mm -hmm. uh, we were still touring we, on, on, on our memories, if you like. Yeah. And funnily enough, it's still going on today. So <laughs> we can't complain. But you do, you know, you've got to accept you're not going to have hit records forever. Right. Uh, because all the music comes in, all the styles, all the... All the types of radio, as as we know, mm -hmm. and and we just gotta just be happy with what we've got, mm -hmm. and and that's the good thing because all I've ever wanted to do basically was just get on stage and sing songs. That's all I wanted to do, yeah. and I'm still doing it at 62 years old. <laughs> and it, well, and all right, let's uh, let's talk about as you start to venture off. Uh, tell us about working with uh, the Alan Parsons Project. Oh, that that was you see Alan Parsons. Uh, Again, getting back to Ivy Road and the Beatles and all that, he 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 just started work as an as a, an engineer mm -hmm. in the early seventies, probably would it be? Probably around sixty, you know, just about the same time as I joined the Hollies, around you know late sixties, seventies. And his first ever <coughs> job at Abbey Road was basically just being a tape op, a tape operator for mm -hmm. for for us, the Hollies. And uh, we we befriended him. He's a nice fella, and we we brought him into our, you know, we you know we used to take a break and, and go down the pub and have a drink. Uh, and what we did we we didn't we didn't not include him. Right. We'd say, come on, come down the pub. That's, <laughs> that's, and he was only, I mean, he, he wasn't that much younger than us, but he was just a, a novice. Yeah. And, and we're like so-called big stars, but we included, and we were always a bit like that. We didn't. You include everybody. We're all a team. Yeah. We used to record with them and everything. He he'd be taping, and then he'd, eventually he did produce us. But and well, he was very very involved with the other I breathe. It was his, a lot of the other I breathe was his input yeah. as, a as as an engineer. He started to you know make suggestions because he was you know obviously a very clever right. uh, so you know future producer. So anyways. He um, he started. Then he called me one day and said, "Terry, I'm working on something which is outside everything that we do. You know, I'm, I'm working on my own. And fully enough, he called it my own project. That's what he called it. <laughs> That's why I ended up the Alan Parsons project. He said, "I'm working on my own project, and there's a song on it." that I think, uh, you know, you, I want you to, we want you to sing, because his partner, Eric Wilson, was his partner, and they said that there's a song which really would suit your voice. Can't tell you much about it, because it's a secret. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, 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 and it was all to do with Edgar Allan Poe and the first album, Tales mm -hmm. of Missionary Imagination. Mm -hmm. and, and they just didn't want the word to get out that they were doing that until it actually was released. Hmm. So anyways, I went in the studio, and they said, look, here's the song. And I had like 15 minutes to learn it, <laughs> which I did. And I ended up singing what is on that album, the Alan Parsons Project, Tales of Mystery and Imagination. I, end, I mean, I ended up singing the final song on side two. I suppose that doesn't happen anymore. There's only side one now, isn't there? <laughs> CDs. But it's the final song, and it's called To One in Paradise, and it's me singing. And uh, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of, of what I did, you know, for the Alan Parsons thing. Are you pretty much in, in uh, good contact with all everybody you've played with in the past? You know what? Yeah, we are. And because uh, we're partners, we were very lucky, the Hollies. We had a fantastic manager uh, who was honest. It's probably one of the rarest things in the music business. Mm -hmm. We had an honest manager. And, it, and sadly, he's passed away now. But his name is Robin Britton. 
and he set us up for life. We, we own our own masters, we own our own recordings. Wow. You know, we lease everything out to record companies. We make, we make the money, which right. is what everybody should. But unfortunately, I work with a lot of artists who tell me the horror stories. Mm -hmm. Some of them have had 10 hit records and never been paid a penny. Wow. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. But, you know, there you go. I, I, you know, you, you move on. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said, we, we had a fabulous guy managing us, and we're set for life. And, uh, and we make money. You know, yeah. when, when our records get played, we make money. When they get bought, we make money. Yeah. Everybody can't say that. Exactly. Tell us what, how it feels like uh, to be a part of a group that's a good, nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, we are absolutely ecstatic. Well, Graham Nash and I are anyway, because don't forget Graham. Graham and I are the only ones who live in America, you know, from the Hollies. Mm -hmm. We live in, you know, North America, as I call it. And he is overjoyed. He's already in the, as Crosby, Stills and Nash. Right. But he, like me and like a lot of people, we all believe that the Hollies deserve to be in. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, that's one thing saying you deserve to be in. It's a very private club and it, it's almost like a secret society, but mm -hmm. I've never really thought about it, uh, but I am thinking about it now because we are one of the nominees for the 2010 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, it, you know, we've still got a ways to go. There's 12 nominees mm -hmm. and only five will go in. But the fact that we've got the chance, mm -hmm. It's like, you know, if you don't buy the lottery ticket, you can't win. You know, exactly. we're in there. <laughs> and, and now it's up to the so-called people in the music business, secret society. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we've got a good chance. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, well, it'll happen one day. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I could probably talk to you for another two hours, but I'm, I, we, we I'm sure we both got lots of things to do. <laughs> we, we certainly do appreciate you being our guest today, and uh, I am so looking forward to meeting you on Saturday. You will meet me on Saturday. I'll meet you. We'll have some fun. You sound like a very knowledgeable gentleman, um, so we'll, we'll have some fun together, and uh, thank you. He's my brother. This has been Central Indiana Today, presented by the Kevin Kersey Agency on WYRZ. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help with home, life, auto, or business needs. Phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Walk-ins are always welcome at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg.